the blast from our past network. Welcome to our Patreon-exclusive interview series for Podcasting After Dark with your hosts, Corey Stevenson and Zach Schaefer. Tonight's interview is with the creator of Serial Geek, the writer of many He-Man and the Masters of the Universe comprehensive guides by Dark Horse Books and the star of the documentary Faking Filmation, writer, creator, James Etock. James Etock, thank you so much for being on Podcasting After Dark. Thank you for having me, as they tend to say. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, our, our listeners don't know this, but you and I go way back to uh, PowerCon days, uh, PowerCon in-person days. and Yeah, the glory days, many, we call those. Yeah. Yes, the, the good old days when you didn't have to worry about wearing a mask or uh, dying, I or, guess. Or, or dying, you didn't have yes. to make... Or you didn't have to make the mask a part of your costume now, you know? <laughs> yeah. Everyone's going as the shredder. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, shredder's doing just fine right now. Well, I guess so Ninja of shredder costumes are up. <laughs> <laughs> and and Ninja is gonna make a comeback, I think. So. Yeah. <laughs> but no, we we uh we we've known each other for a little bit now and and obviously through my son, my son a little uh, dude, yeah, little Bodie, yeah. So he's, he's a dude, yeah. <laughs> But gosh, you know, there's so much to talk about with you, but you are on the heels right now of um, a very successful Kickstarter campaign with the return of Faker. Yeah, it's, it's been really weird because obviously it was, um, you know, we did, or well, we planned to show the return of Faker at um, PowerCon 20. Oh my goodness. 2019. It's so hard with that 2020. It's like, what did that year happen? It's like, yes, it no. did, but it just kind of, <laughs> screwed up all our kind of, uh, you know, memories as it were. Right. Um, but yes, yeah, so we'd, I, I think I, in terms of the return of Faker, I'd, I'd shown, I think two scenes at PowerCon 2017, then the first act at 2018, and then the intent was to show the whole thing at PowerCon 2019. And then obviously NBC Universal said, no. And, and then Rob McCullum, I think it was on the Sunday of PowerCon came up to me and he said, I've got, I've got an idea. And I knew him from, uh, I'd been on the um, Power of Grayskull documentary. I'd, I'd, I'd done the appearance on that. So I knew him from him interviewing me on that. So I was like, oh, yeah, it's Rob. Yeah, he's a good dude. And, yeah, it's sort of like he messaged me a few days later, I think it was, or it was a week, because I was out in America for two weeks. And he messaged me in the second week, or maybe when I was back in the UK, and he said, yeah, I, I think there's the potential for a documentary here. You know, the little guy versus the big corporation, the, the fan who has a passion for... Uh, the cartoon versus the corporation who just want to make money off it, which is obviously ironic considering I said, I said to NBC Universal, take this cartoon I've made and make money from it. And they're like, no, it's, we don't know what it is and we don't understand. It's like, of course you don't. Wow. Wow. <laughs> but um, yeah, so Rob just came up with this idea and the plan was I was going to go out to Chicago in April of last year. And that was where we were going to start the, um, the return of like, fake information, which was the documentary. And Rob said, you know, we could tell the story and we'll interview you. Um, and I was like, oh, great. And then the world ended. And it was like, oh, man. And that, it really bummed us out. But it's amazing. As much as last year sucked. I mean, I kept myself busy through just work and create, creating stuff. But it's amazing how quickly last year went when you kind of look back. It's like, oh, that was, that was April of last year. And now we're already, you know, the Kickstarter's, you know, very much underway. 
But um, yeah, Rob, we kind of postponed it, but we'd still talk. And then I think it was at the start of this year, right in January, Rob was like, we're going to do this. I was like, oh, really? Wow. Okay. So we're going to do the Kickstarter. And he, he got um, Ken Coleman to do the cover, like the, 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 the poster. And I was like, oh man, that's awesome. And yeah, just, it kind of, we, he did that. He previewed the campaign to me, I think a month in advance. And he, he cut the trailer. He made the trailer. He, he showed me that like literally, God, it was about three days before the campaign went live. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm quite a hands-on person. So I was like, oh man, what's it going to be like? And it was just perfect, you know? Um, so yeah, it's, it's been pretty mind blowing when you think about it. It's, it's just, you know, from, from an idea to now a stupidly successful Kickstarter. Yeah. Oh, and, and, you know, for, for the listeners who might not know, uh, I know I've been following the faking, uh, a return of fake or for a long time now. And so is Zach, uh, but for the listeners who don't know, what is that, what was that originally the project supposed to be? And what were you trying to, uh, uh do with it and how, how hard was it to, to do what you did with it? But, uh, it's, it's weird. It's uh, like, when, when people ask me that question, I've been asking this, I was like, how do what was it supposed to be? <laughs> it sounds really weird, but yeah. So I think it was back in, my goodness, uh, I'm pretty good with years, but I think as, as the older I get, the more foggier my brain gets. But I think it was like 2013, I was working on the um, official He-Man YouTube channel. And it was really fun to do because I basically had carte blanche to do whatever I want. They were like, what, what do you want to do? And I said, oh, I kind of create trivia videos, maybe some silly, funny videos, this, that, and the other. Um, I remember them, their immortal line to me was, we love it to be doing like each video, you know, receiving a million views. And I said, well, put Justin Bieber in those videos and maybe yeah. we'll be making a million views because like, with <laughs> due respect, the only video, unfortunately, that gets all the views is the Ford non-blondes He-Man video. And that's almost like, <laughs> that's just out of some bizarre, uh, it's just like a thing now. It's its, it's, its own thing. It got its so own I said, figure. Yeah, I was going to say, it has its own toy, doesn't it? <laughs> That's true, yeah. I mean, you make that what you will. <laughs> of, I mean, there's a whole thing I can go into about that, but I'll, I'll get to that one once we talk about the cease and desist. But yeah, um, so when, when we work on the YouTube channel, it was myself and Dusan Mitrovic, who's like this extraordinary, extraordinarily talented dude who can just create anything, um, you know, within reason, but just he's a phenomenal guy like so creative so talented his work rarely gets recognized because he doesn't he's not all about that he just likes doing stuff and making stuff and one of the first things we started doing was when I worked and again you can you know you look back at some experiences it's like oh that was that was a lot of just my work you know as in me and Dusan doing our thing and getting very little help from classic media who were um, our bosses when when we were doing the content for the YouTube channel it was very much like do what you want so okay we will doing these videos doing these videos and but but what i mean is the good thing is that they gave us all the music and effects tracks for all 223 he-man she episodes it's like oh my god awesome. so that's when we started like do sound again was just like do you know what let's start creating instrumentals i was like how he's like we'll just go through all the episodes and he did that he literally went through all the episodes and go you know that's the Snake Mountain theme. That's the Cringer theme. That's He-Man to the Rescue. Well, titles we were coming, coming up with ourselves because nobody knew the official title. So just making all these instrumentals. I think we ended up doing like about 70 to 100 or something. So we had the She-Ra ones as well. Wow. Yeah, so many. But and what I'm sure when you got those, you were like, oh my God, this is amazing. Just like getting well, to hear those on their own. 
well, yeah, the music and effects tracks were great. And it was just, you know, I'm, I'm always obsessed with the transformation. So I'd, I would love hearing that, just the effects and the, 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 the power and like, you know, just certain music cues as well. And then like I say, Doosan just cut together the instrumentals to have the full things. It was like, oh my God. And he would do such a good job of like fine tuning it and make sure it was all good. And, and sometimes like a month later he'd say, oh, I found another bit where there's an extended bit or an alternate ending to that music track. I'm like, oh, go for it. And he'd just do it off his own back. Yeah. And, um, but the other thing, the thing that he did, he was like, oh, I've, 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 I've discovered that if I, if I take the episode audio, the full mix, so music and effects and dialogue, and then take the music and effects track and kind of somehow in a sound program, put them together and like knock out all the stuff in between. What you just get is the vocal track. And I was like, oh my God. So suddenly we had all the vocals for like as many episodes as we wanted. We never did all the episodes, but do, do so. I was like, look, I'll do like the first season of Hey Man, a bunch of she was. I was like, yeah, sure. And then as of when we decided we needed them. So a lot of those early YouTube videos we were making, I was able to, you know, put lines of dialogue in and stuff. And then, yeah, and then we just came up with the idea of, well, what could we do? And it was, um, yeah, we came up with the idea of just doing like a little faker cartoon, because that was the other thing, the classic media companies, uh, the YouTube companies, uh, sorry, <laughs> classic media, the company that ran the YouTube channel just said, you have carte blanche to do whatever you want. So I turned to those and I said, why don't we do like, the faker the you know the toy faker or the one on the cross cell art where you had the magenta armor and the orange hair which was always my favorite whereas the figure was brown hair with orange armor and i was yeah. like i want that magenta faker to come to life because he's, he's he's just such a unique looking character so yeah we kind of um we meet mulled it over and said hey let's do like a five minute fight scene just he man turns up at snake mountain pow 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 you know, just that, just put it on the YouTube channel. So we did like a teaser video. This was, I remember this was, oh my God, like I, I'd just come back from PowerCon, I think, or I was either going to or coming from, I forget, 2016, I think it was. And we did like a, literally a 30 second trailer, which was like a pan of Snake Mountain. And then you see He-Man and Faker and then a bit of dialogue and then a shot of He-Man's transformation sequence that we just kind of cobbled together very quickly. And... Yeah, we thought this is this is amazing. This is really good. We put it on the channel. It started getting all this kind of traffic. Even it was picked up by a couple of you know geeky websites, like new He-Man cartoon in the works. And then I just got a suddenly the video just went down. People were like, where's the video? I was like, I don't know. And um, I spoke to Classic Media, my boss, and they said, what are you doing? And I said, what do you mean? They said, what? Why are you saying you're creating a new episode? And I said, because you said I could do whatever I want on the channel. We've been creating new funny episodes, new funny shorts, new clips, trivia video. He said, you can't make a new episode. I was like, okay, so when you say we've got carte blanche, we really don't. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, maybe carte blanche was, so, sorry. <laughs> As, I was just going to say, the irony is that like you were getting traction and that's the one thing they tell you to take down. That's the thing. That's, that's, that's always the thing with this project. It seems to be like, it's for everyone's good to make it, to for everyone to see it. And yet, you you're saying nobody can say it's it's really weird but like, again there's there's a whole nothing when we get to the cease and desist but so we created this thing and then they took the video down and do and i kind of just talked and at that point i was kind of not like i could have stuck with that official youtube channel but i just found it was a lot more hard it was a lot more work than what i was getting paid to do it was it was i mean it paid nicely but it wasn't what my one of my friends is like a professional editor and i, I know you know what his daily rate is and i was like why 
why am I doing all this work? And it's because I love He-Man. So of course I'm going to do all this work for a, a minimal price. Yeah. But um, yeah, I kind of just, I, I politely walked away from the channel. It was, it was, it was very amicable. I just said like, I probably won't be doing much anymore. And they were like, that's cool. Um, and yeah, just went our separate ways on very good terms. So then I was talking to Doosan and we, he'd done a, um, it's still on YouTube. There's a, a thing called He-Man versus, and I think it's called like, He-Man versus Anti-Eternia He-Man. Yes. So he created these, yeah, these, these two little shorts, I think maybe a year apart, maybe half a year apart. And it was, it's just randomly, it's He-Man versus uh, the German character Anti-Eternia He-Man. And it's a little fight scene. And it's funny watching it, um, I think looking back at it, he's he notices the errors. But at the time I thought, this is great, except I changed that and I changed that. Just my my storyboard brain and my experience of filmation. Like Dusan could recreate the style i was just like oh, i'm not sure that would have been done like that blah 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 and then um i said to him why don't we you know maybe revisit this faker idea this fight scene so, oh yeah, what a great idea so it's so funny we've got all, like, all the documentation all the emails are still there all the, the facebook messages but it's just it starts off as oh yeah we'll have he-man turn up a snake mountain bish bash bosh there's a big fight and it's like what about if we we have like Faker being kind of activated by Skeletor. It's like, oh, that's a really good idea. We could do that. And I said, oh, then maybe we have like, you know, Prince Adam summoned by Zor. So at least we get to do the transformation sequence. Oh, what a good, oh, what about, he now has to go to Snake Mountain for a reason. It can't just be just to beat up Fakers. Oh, maybe Orko's been cut. Oh, okay. So, and it just, it got bigger and bigger and bigger, this, this idea. And then it became, you know, originally it was, oh, we'll do like a 15 minute cartoon. Then as we, even like when I showed the first act of PowerCon um, back in 2018, 2018, yeah, when I showed the first act, we still weren't even sure like how, how long act two was going to be. And even then when we finished it, it's like, I think it's going to be over 25 minutes. It's like, oh no, it's, it's 31 minutes now. So um, awesome. yeah, it just it just became a monster, but but like a, a beautiful monster. It was so much fun to work on. And yeah, we had the music and effects track and, I think it was at the end of 20, um, yeah, it was at the end of 2016. I just said to him, it was like about September, October. I said, I'm going to, I'm going to see if I can piece together a scene using the vocal tracks we've got. So my it's like stupid encyclopedic brain of uh, the filmation series. It's like, can I have a scene where he, man, and man, I was having a conversation about a robot that needs taking down a, bit, a peg or two or something that maybe Tila turns up. So I started creating this conversation. I was like, I think I can do this. You know, I, I can create new conversations out of existing material. So I did that. Then I created the storyboard. I showed it to Dusa and he's like, yeah, we should, we should do this. So yeah, we just, it started off from there. And I, I would do the audio, like make the audio. Dusan would painstaking. That was the other thing as well. He didn't just go, oh, we need He-Man turning his head in close-up. I need to get that sequence. He basically went through the entire series and said, I'm going to recreate the entire stock sequence. So He-Man turning his head, looking up, looking down, eyes left, right, smile, sad face, all that. All these different uh, emotions so that when the storyboard or like the scene called for something, he could go, oh, I'm going to have He-Man with his wide eyes. And the beautiful thing about The Return of Faker, it's like a filmation episode, but if... Um, like the, one of the, the probably the best director at filmation was a guy called Tom Tatteranowitz, and he worked on the she show. And he, he, what he said was he had all this stock material, but his idea was if I put lots of little movements in the face and I, he, he did a thing called triple eye blinks, which was my favorite. In all of his episodes, the characters blink three times just to blink. It's crazy, but it's, it's such a little subtle thing that when, when you clock it, you're like, oh yeah, 
um, especially on the female characters uh, in the Shira cast. So it was like our attitude was let's let's do a, almost like a Tom Tatter and Howitz He-Man episode where you've got lots of little emotions and reactions and stuff. So what, there's no real character just standing there as they're typically would be in certain filmation things. And then when it came to the special effects, that's where we really kind of had fun. I, I lifted, um, you know, we would tra- everything was traced. You know, we'd, we'd source all this material and trace the frames painstakingly. I mean, Doosan did all of the filmation stuff. That's, I tried, he had a test. I was like, let me, let me take a shot. I couldn't do it. I was like, I don't know how you're doing this so accurately. Cause I, I've got a graphics tablet. I've been illustrating on a graphics tablet for, tw- you know, at that point, let's say it was 18 years. And I could not get the precision that he did. I was like, my God, you're so good at this. Um, we tried to get a few other people. Um, Andrew Kramer, who ended up uh, coloring a lot of the um, the cells, as we called them, on the return of Faker. He, um, yeah, he he took a, a drawing test. And I was, I was just like, yes, I, Doosan's the only one who can really do this. It, it's nuts. But, um, and but when you when watch it, just... it it's it's unbelievable like the the videos mm-hmm. you know the stuff out there and i you watch it and you can tell like a lot of hard work went into it but i had no idea just how much uh you know you guys were were basically remaking and, and rebuilding i didn't know which ones you pieces you were taking but it sounds like you're you're rotoscoping rotoscope uh you know on top of things but my, my, how much of a script did you have and i know you, what you said you were kind of building it in your head but did you eventually put that down to a script knowing which lines of dialogue there were or were you kind of just working off your your head we're just working on my head really it was like you know wow, we, we cool. it was weird because we, we structured it so strange like the first scene that i put all the audio to was the like 10th scene in the episode i was like okay we've got this so then you know you go back and it's like all right the skeletor faker scene and then skeletor faker and the evil warrior scene and orco and faker scene and it was just and it's just like right what do i need and I just kind of sit, I, I would sit there at times going, because I'd go through the episodes, I'd go, ah, I need a faker. Because the, 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 one of the funniest things was was sourcing Faker's dialogue, because it's all John Irwin as He-Man. All of Faker's dialogue is John Irwin as He-Man. But I said to do so, what we need to do is, it needs to be those moments. You can use He-Man dialogue, but it, as in standard He-Man dialogue, but it kind of has to be those moments when he was quite cocky or something. But I said, the best kind of dialogue you can use Faker are the episodes where he suffers with amnesia which is um, Quest for He-Man and A Tale of Two Cities and in those episodes because he's not really He-Man he comes out with like you know He-Man and stuff like that it's like oh great down pitch that give it a robot voice and suddenly you've got Faker going He-Man and you know and it was able to create like you know one of the lines in A Tale of Two Cities when He-Man doesn't have his um, he's got amnesia and he kind of does this kind of sly grin and says to Garn, uh, you know, there is a chance I may win. And it's like, oh yeah, that's a perfect line for Faker because standard <laughs> He-Man probably wouldn't say that. Um, and it was just, and like I said, but those those moments of cockiness from He-Man as well were, were really good for Faker. And it was just, you know, and also like a simple line of dialogue sometimes would have three or four edits in to make a new line of dialogue. But, or like the uh, simple one scene, there was there's a scene with, with He-Man and Teela and the wind rate and they're having quite a flirty conversation. And that's got dialogue from, I think it's like 11 episodes, but in the space of, I think it's a minute or at most of them just in the Wind Raider conversing, but it's 11 different episodes of where I've gone, right, take this, take that, use that, use that, cut this, put that there. And like I say, it was just the dialogue 
is in my brain. It's it's. Well, what do I need in this scene? Um, oh yeah, that would be good. I'll, I'll take that from there and put that there. Um, and just just quickly go back to what I was saying before uh, about the special effects. And this is a fun thing. I, I can't remember if I've said this anywhere publicly, but you know we're such fans of eighties cartoons and especially like. Japanese animation and stuff by Tokyo Movie Shinsha and all these different uh, animation companies. Uh, but like there's some explosions in um, The Return of Faker that are from Project Aiko. Mm. Uh, there's oh, some okay. smoke effects that are from Project Aiko. There's some laser effects that are from Transformers. It was just like, let's try and, you know, because don't get me wrong, filmation special effects are fantastic and we've got 90% of them in there as, as many as we could. But there's certain things where it's like, let's make this moment when he-man uses swords of fire blast overly dynamic so let's rip this from transformers and yeah it was it was so much fun to do stuff like that because you know you could make you could take something make it better as it were but then also make it your own with a little twist on it so yeah it was the return of faker it's just um it's it's uh it's a weird like the the end goal i guess was it was just a love letter like all we wanted to do was make this this was always the goal from day one make this cartoon show it at powercon upload it to youtube that was always the goal which is why we did the two years prior at powercon where we showed it to a room full of people at, at powercon 2018 there was about that was the filmation powercon as in celebrating filmation you had oh my goodness there's about like there's many there was numerous filmation people in attendance but after i showed act one i had um, oh my god, I'm trying to remember who was there. Robbie London, Tom Taylor and Alex, Rob Lamb, Vic Dalchell, Michael Swanigan, uh, Ralby Goran, a few others as well. I hope I'm not forgetting any names. It just come up to me afterwards and were like, how, how? That was amazing. And I, I'd already done a presentation piece um, prior to showing the first act. So I showed how we'd painstakingly trace special effects or sequences. And it was just them, you know, when you get that, when when people whose work you've admired turn around and go, great bloody job, you're like, oh, shit. But, yeah, it was, it was um, very humbling, I guess, is the, is the best way of putting it. Not, uh, and, yeah, and all we wanted to do was just upload it to YouTube. And then, um, yeah, and then obviously we got the cease and desist. Um, and my biggest issue with that was the wording, which said, you know, um, Oh, I say, I say the wording I took issue with and then I forget it immediately. It was something about um, they weren't, you know, I understand from their point of view, but they were saying what you're putting out, as in the return of Faker, may not accurately reflect the brand, uh, as in it might be detrimental to the brand. It's like, okay, but you make money yeah. off of the four non-blondes video. Yeah. So which one is better for the brand? I'm sorry, I, not to be a, 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 a dick about it, but it's I get I get why that's popular. But if you think that that's beneficial to the overall brand of He-Man, then you're nuts, and it shows you how little the and uh, you know not to rag on NBC Universal, but they've had the license for so many years, and all they've done in that time, um, NBC Universal, this is is release a He-Man DVD set and a She-Ra DVD set in 2019. Yeah. So it's 2019. You should be on Blu-rays or right now. And, and again, Doosan, do you know what he's doing right now? As you and I talk, Doosan is going through Diamond Road Disappearance and he's restoring the colours. And it's it's ridiculous. And he's upscaling wow. it to HD. And he why is he doing that? Because he just wants to, because he loves it. And it's like NBC Universal should be hiring him and saying, right, do or seeing that work and going, right, let's hire him to do all the series or just hey, do the 10 best episodes. We'll put them on YouTube in HD. We'll pay you like 
you know, a few hundred dollars or whatever, and we'll have these, you know, properly done or whatever. No, no do so. They're doing for free anyway. But it's it's just that's the frustrating thing is that they, they claim to be the, you know, what do you call it? Like the gatekeepers to the brand. It's like, yes, yeah, you know, and it's like, but it's us that are doing, and it's not, it's not like a martyrdom thing, but it's, it's the fans with the passion that are ones that keep pushing for greatness and like, oh, well, you could do this. And what about this? And da, 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 da. Um, and for some reason they're like, no, you stay over there. And it's like, okay, I guess we will then. Well, I think, I think one, one big piece of this, which is what you brought up is that, you know, when, when you give the keys to the fans, the fans are the ones that actually produce something that everyone wants to see. Right. And, but then when someone who doesn't have the same love or appreciation for the product uh, or the brand does something, it it just feels like a throwaway. Um, I, I, I won't name names, but I, there was a, um, very prominent uh, television producer who did a tribute to a wrestler who had passed away on his show. And the whole episode had nothing to do with that wrestler. And at the very end of the episode, they go, this episode was dedicated to blah, blah, blah. And I'm going, Oh, how is that? How is that a dedication to the wrestler who passed away when you didn't even bring his name up in the episode It's kind of random. It makes me feel like, like, you know, they're going to slap the He-Man name on something, but they're not going to, pay you know uh, appropriate homage to it and 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 knowing you and knowing what you've done for the past several years and how painstakingly um dedicated you've been to motu and in the whole universe you know and and, and knowing coming from the two of us both Corey and i and obviously my son being huge fans of he-man masters of the universe etc cetera, etc cetera. It, it's just so wonderful that you never gave up and you're now at a stage where this Kickstarter uh, faking filmation, the documentary is coming out, kind of documenting all of this, right? Which is kind of culminating with, with a wonderful documentary. And obviously the return of Faker will be connected to that, which is beautiful. Uh, I just think it's really great that we're, that maybe a few years ago, this wouldn't have happened. But the fact that you launched this, I think you launched this Kickstarter in uh, beginning of April. April 6th, I think it was, because I was moving house on the same day. And I was like, this is a big day. (laughs) That's right. Yeah, you were moving and you were launching it. And within a couple of days, you were fully funded, right? Congratulations. Oh, thank you. No, I mean, the hard work. I mean, that's all Rob. Like, don't get me wrong. The return of fake is obviously a big part of that. But what Rob did with that Kickstarter really, really was, I mean, he's, he's, uh, you know, he's a documentary guy. His documentaries are great. It's simple as that. I know the power of grace was a... A team effort but i loved action figure adventure and um the, the other ones he's done like video game box art and just just um yeah it, it, it's funny when we started conversing about this i'd say at the start of the year i wouldn't say i had my own ideas but i'm very kind of protective of the return of faker like before people um i think oh my goodness i might be misremembering i'm sure i'd put people contact me and say hey um, why don't we just live stream it on, on my Facebook group or something? I was like, but I, I don't want to be in trouble, you know, financially with, with NBC Universal and stuff. Yeah. But, um, you know, we had offers and stuff, like just people just being very generous. Like, I, I even had people say, I'll pay you this much if you send me the farm. It's like, no. <laughs> I, I appreciate it. I mean, it's really sweet. But I just kept thinking, I'm sure there'll be a way at some point either to put it out there for free or the, the Kickstarter thing, which I knew Rob was going to do at some point or as of that... Um, 2019 um powercon but yeah it's um 
it's crazy when Rob told me. See, my my only experience with Kickstarter, as in um, creating a project, was I did a I did a um, a Kickstarter for uh, Serial Geek, which is a magazine I do about '80s cartoons. I did uh, a Kickstarter for Serial Geek issue two. This was probably back in I want to say 2009 or 10. I did a Kickstarter and it failed, and I was just like, right. And I mean, back then, I, I don't even think. I think it only accepted PayPal payments. Mm, I think yeah. this might be, I'm, I may be completely wrong about that. I'm sure uh, Kickstarter was somewhat limited back in, and even when you think about it, like even 2009, 2010, that was still a long time ago in terms of Kickstarter's evolution. Yeah, yeah, yeah. totally, totally. So yeah, I was just like, okay, well, you know, I failed in that, so I'm never going to use Kickstarter again. And then, you know, when Rob came out the idea, and he, I did, he, he's, you know, he's the Kickstarter king. He's every one of his projects have been funded, or like I should say, overfunded, where you get you hit the target and then some. So I was like, okay, cool. Um, and he said, yeah, he goes, for this to be a success, you need, or for you to be knowing you're on the right track, you need to make like $10,000 within the first couple of days. And I was like, whew. But then I thought, oh, I guess that makes sense. A new project goes up, you announce it, you probably do get that initial influx of people going, oh, da, 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 da. and it's like, oh, wow, we did 10 grand. Yeah. But he and I, I he said, um, I, I said, what's the, what's the initial, this is before I'd seen the actual Kickstarter, I said, what's the initial goal? Or what's the goal? And he said, $30,000. And I was like, bloody hell. I said, yeah. well, I, I guess we'll get that by about day, day 20, day 25. And then we did it on day two. And I said, what? Unreal. It was so surreal. It was, it, it, was, it really is. And, and, and also speaking from someone who, who I tried to fund a cartoon back in the day and, and, and it failed miserably. And I had the same uh, effect with Kickstarter where I'm like, I'm never using this again. Yeah, uh, the, the power of, of, of this is amazing. You know, obviously I bet you anything, if you did a serial geek one to do a serial geek on Kickstarter now would be funded within minutes probably. <laughs> but, uh, you know, and, and right. go- I think it would be a different, I think social media has helped in the last 10 years or it's grown uh, bigger. Rob, Rob said that he feels that social media or the way social media works, that it would have uh, negative, negatively impacted the Kickstarter. He said, I'm, I'm not, he said, it's a bit harder to do. Like he was talking about when they got the power of Grayskull funded. He said it's almost like a very different platform and um, world we live in social media, yeah, social, yeah. socially media speaking. <laughs> um, and so the power of Greystall, um, yeah, when we got to 30,000 in two days, he said, you do realize we're doing better than the power of Greystall. And I was like, holy cow. So, wow. But I said to him prior to the campaign, this wasn't me being Mr. Noel, but I said, I, I said, the one thing I know about the return of Faker um this is outside of fake information it's the one thing about the return of faker i know is that there's so much goodwill behind it yeah i said you've got i think people have always just been rooting for it yeah um, and again it's i'm not being like well you know we did something great therefore of course people are gonna like it but i just think people were gutted for me that it wasn't you know that we couldn't just show it for free that that i offered it to nbc universal and they weren't really interested in it or didn't know what it was or were in discussion for what seemed like well has been years now (laughs) so um well you know and your dedication to this brand your dedication to just pop culture in general is really inspiring uh you know you mentioned serial geek and you've been doing that for gosh when did the first issue of serial geek come out oh my god um i can't remember i have to remember because i was i was the the, because i came up with it when i was dating this um uh, fashion, uh, what a girl who works in fashion. Yeah, it was two thousand and uh, we came up with the idea in late two thousand six. I think 
Serum Geek launched at the beginning of 2007. Yeah, that makes sense. 2007. Yeah, it would have been the start of 2007. But um, yeah, it's, it's crazy. I mean, obviously, Serial Geeks have gone a bit um, AWOL. I, I owe people those last two issues, and it's like, oh, don't worry, they're there. But it's just, <laughs> it's it's really hard to it's hard to explain something. I get it. It's like, look, I, I you know, you you pre-ordered those back in God 2013, I think it was 2014, and I haven't delivered those last two issues. Um, and it's obviously, I went to San Diego Comic Con. We, you know, we spoke about Kickstarter failures. That was one of the biggest failures where I took all this. Everybody advised me, and, and don't get me wrong, I, I don't begrudge myself. Of course, we're going to San Diego Comic Con with a glossy magazine yeah. about eighties cartoons. Everybody's going, and I've done. I, I did uh, San Diego Comic Con back in two thousand five, two thousand six, and it was great. I've been there as a as a guest with regards to the He Man DVDs and Shira DVDs, which was amazing because got to meet Lou Scheimer and Erica Scheimer and all that. Oh, you know, amazing. all those filmation people. It was just like, wow, I'm actually, yeah, it was it was incredible. And um, but when we went in 2014 with Serial Geek, the first thing I noticed was, oh, this is a very different convention now, yeah. because in the, in the space of 2007 to 2014, the Marvel Cinematic Universe had started, and oh boy, and there's and trust me, I bloody love those Marvel films. Like that to me, they they've given me everything I've ever wanted in superhero films, so I'm more than content. I mean. I saw Endgame three times. I think I cried, cried like a baby all three times. <laughs> but um, the uh, the convention itself was it was less. It was still comics, but it was less about. We'll put it this way: in two thousand five, two thousand six, you had more chances as an independent publisher of being seen. In two thousand fourteen, sorry, yeah, in in, in two thousand fourteen, you had you were shoved off in a corner next to the toilets. That's where we were. We were next to the, yeah. we were next to the toilets. Um, You're next to the Lloyd Kaufman. Yes. There was like about, I want to say, God, 20 rows. And they were the purple curtain rows. And, yeah. and you were there. And it was just like, I remember just walking around that convention that year, just very briefly, because I couldn't really leave my table much. And there was just like, what is this convention anymore? Because there was... There was like a TV show from HBO about the war. I'm like, what's this got to do with comics? And then you realize yeah. money. It's companies going, hey, if we take our product or our TV series to San Diego Comic Con, it will get exposure. And it's like, yeah, but boss, this has got nothing to do with comics. It's like, yeah, but we'll throw some money at San Diego Comic Con. We'll be fine. And I get that from a business standpoint. So, yeah, I take all my serial geeks to San Diego Comic Con. And out of the, I think it was like 700 and something I took, I took 100 of each issue. Seven issues, uh, 100. No, I didn't take it. I took like 80 of each issues, and at the time I had like 14 issues, something like that. Anyway, took them there, and I think like 180 sold in the end. And so, on, on the like the last half hour, I had to go to um, oh my god, is it uh, not Golden Apple? Was it maybe it was Golden Apple Comics? Anyway, whoever it was, um, I went to them and I said. Because uh, apparently that's what you do. I was advised, like, if, you, if you've got any unsold stock, go to them. They'll buy it off you cheap, but they'll take it. Um, and they were telling me, they, you know, the Golden Apple guy was like, he's been doing every Comic-Con since the 70s. And he was like, yeah, it's been, um, he goes, it's been a terrible Comic-Con. He goes, but I think this will be our last year. And I thought, yeah, he's feeding me this stuff because he's going to offer me a, a crap price. And sure enough, he did. He was like, how much did it retail for <laughs> magazine? I said, like, well, I said I was selling for 15. Then I went down to 10. Then I went down to $5. I said, I can't shift them. He goes, he goes, how much do you want from? I said, I don't know, three dollars. He was like, I was like, two dollars. I said, one dollar. He goes, I'll give you. I think it was like thirteen cents an issue. Oh my god! And I was, 
well, it was it was a case of either that or I just jumped them all. And I was like, okay. I said, yeah, take them. And he wrote me a check oh. for I think it's one hundred and seventy eight dollars. Oh. And oh, it's heartbreaking. Uh, yeah, it was heartbreaking because I worked out afterwards that I'd lost like eleven thousand three hundred dollars. Oh, of, oh my of, and it was just like, oh boy. I remember like I remember posting something on Facebook, and there was a lot of love. But I remember my my, my dad's. I was spoke to him, I was in America and I found my dad and I said, Oh, I didn't go away. And he goes, Yeah, he goes, You made your mother cry as well. And I was like, I'm so oh, sorry. Because no. they were reading my Facebook post and I was like very, just very honest and saying, like, I guess this is like where the journey ends, something very dramatic. But yeah, he went into the point where it's one of those Facebook posts I can't really look back on because it's like, Eesh. but um, yeah, serial geek flopped. And after that, it was really hard to yeah, even though, like I say, that the that some of the funds are there to print the next two issues, it's just that I don't. I can't just do it without getting all the funds. And also it's just really difficult to get the mindset to, to get in that whole serial geek phase. Also, the other thing is this time when I print them and post them, because people paid prices back in, like, like say 2014 or whatever, um, I think every time I post an issue, I'll be basically, I'll be just losing, I think like one to two, two quid an issue, but it's my own mm. fault because I should have got them out sooner, but it's like, yeah. But yeah, I, I, you know, that's, that's one of those projects that is just hanging over my head and people think that I forget about it. It's like, oh, no, no, no. It's pretty much every day I think about how the hell am I going to do these two cereal cakes? Of without... course, of course. Yeah, but at yeah. least you're at least you're continuing this mindset of like, at the end of the day, for me, I, I feel like it's inspiring. I think, you know, Corey and I talk about all the time. It's, it's, it's what are you doing with your life that's going to make you happy? ultimately at the end of the day and there are going to be those downs real dark downs and they're going to be those highs uh currently you're writing a really good high with you know faking filmation and the return of faker knowing Absolutely. that it's going to get produced knowing that it's going to get shown uh, i remember 2019 when when being at that convention and and 18 and uh i think we met you in 18 and yes um, yeah and and I think I had mentioned to you that uh, Lorenzo Martinez uh, was was a, a bandmate of mine. <laughs> for, those that, for those that don't know, Lorenzo had a huge part in obviously in um, uh, in filmation in general. Yeah. Um, but you know, you're but but to know that it, it went from there, and I remember how dejected you were in, in 19, and and everybody was, but obviously you more so than anyone because of your painstaking effort and everything that went into it. Everybody involved in that project. And knowing that it's going to see the light, it's coming to fruition, it's just so inspirational ultimately. And I think that was one of the reasons why we wanted to have you on the show, because you know, you're really much a testament to to what we believe in. And that, you know, people are going to doubt, people are going to say, no, you can't. And there's going to be times when you go, oh, my God, what am I doing? But you pursue and you move forward and you keep doing what you love and ultimately you'll break through. And it feels to me, I mean, gosh, Bodie and I flipped through your, your Dark Horse books. And for those that don't know, uh, James has, you know, painstakingly, uh, in the Encyclopedia Brown, if you will, of uh, of filmation, and, and just and, and there's some amazing books that need to be revisited. If you haven't gotten those filmation books, go out and check them out. Uh, I think you can get them on Amazon. But anyways, my point being that it's it's such an honor to have you on the show for that reason, for the reason that you're not giving up and you're yeah. pushing. Oh, bless you. Thank you. You're doing it. You're doing it. Well, no, it's, it's been a really random, thank you for the very kind words, but it's just, it's been a very random 20 years. Like I, um, I, I was working, you know, I, I, I left school, I did a bit of art college and I was like, oh, I don't want to do this. Um, and then I ended up in desktop publishing, 
and then I worked for the government for two years, I worked in the civil service, I was writing minister speeches, that was quite fun. <laughs> um, <laughs> nice. So that was, that was really weird, where you, you figure out how the, over here you've got something called the House of Commons, which is where the, the ministers on both parties, well, three or four parties these days, kind of debate uh, issues, topical issues, whatever. And I was, yeah, I was writing minister speeches, it was really, really bizarre. Um, and then I went, and then it was, yeah, it was in August of, um, of 2000 I'd, I'd entered like something called bbc talent um i'd just taken a crack at it i was like yeah i'll, I'll give this bbc talent a thing and they had a category which was comedy animation so i did this little one minute car it had to be under a minute or it had to be a minute so it's like minute cartoon submitted it and it, it came like second out of like they claimed a thousand entries it could have been 800 or whatever i was like bloody hell so my work was shown on the bbc and at that point oh. my my boss uh, to the civil service like we, we were like still friends to this day but we were like really best friends back then she goes to me what are you doing here and i was like what do you mean she goes go and you know do this like become an animator become a, an artist and i was like yeah sure so i kind of i, I left in in it was um <clears throat> the end of august 2001 um and obviously what happened in september of 2001 was equally as uh you know bloody hell um so that was a really weird month i'm like trying to create and at the same time the you know the world is going through or america specifically was going through this hell um so it's really really weird create a a really weird creative time but something you never forget obviously nobody forgets that day but you you don't forget that time either because you know i'm not saying it was a distraction it was just like what what world am i you know i i've left my day job the thing they never they always tell you not to quit now don't quit your day job and it's like here i've gone and it's like what world am i entering you know who knows um and then it was literally i think it was december of 2001 maybe november mattel just emailed me and because obviously they knew me from just being a fan and they said oh we're working on this new he-man brand which was the 2002 toy line and cartoon they said do you want to write a um, an encyclopedia for the writers of the new show and I was like oh my god that'd be amazing um and so myself and my, my friend uh, Zadok Angel who worked on the um, episode review website we created this uh, we'd created this website over three or four years that was a hit and then yeah the next minute we're writing um yeah this this encyclopedia guide for you know writers like Dean Stefan and all the others that worked on that show primarily Dean Stefan the late great Dean Stefan actually too such a good dude and um yeah, it was, it was uh, it, I, I literally went from that, I kind of stumbled into that. And then the next thing, I think I did like maybe a comic or two for MV Creations and then the DVDs came along and then I did like a Ghostbusters comic and then, it was, and then I, DVDs and I think at some point, there was like a few things in between, but yeah, it's been a weird, I always say it's been like a really weird 20 years of, I've, I've worked on all these brands, like Dungeons and Dragons, um, uh, Transformers, Ninja Turtles, um, the Netflix stuff, like the women will fly you over and you can, I was like, yeah, sure, okay. You can talk about <laughs> 80s cartoons. I was like, all right. Um, yeah, so that was weird. The Dark Horse books were, were so great. I mean, Dark Horse, just one of the best companies. I was so happy um, the other day when they announced the comic and I was like, oh my God, it's Dark Horse because yeah. We've, I mean, I've not that I'm, I go I go around saying I don't like this. I don't like. I'm just not one of those people. But I was not a fan of anything DC put out over the last ten years with regards to Hey Man. That's just mm-hmm. me. I did, I did like the Freddie Williams stuff because his artwork is so I thought lovely to look at. Very kind of chunky and powerful. Kind of very almost like Ed McGuinness in a way. 
But um, yeah, I was a huge fan of um, of Dark Horse, having worked with them and knowing that the one they've got great editors and they just put out quality stuff. So I saw the the logo on the comic book and I was like, oh my god, this this may actually be really good. And you see the cover and it's like these look like my friends. These look my He-Man characters that I grew up with. Totally. So yeah. <laughs> Fingers crossed for that for that comic and the, obviously the the Revelation cartoon, but um, yeah, and I, I, you know tying it into that, I think Revelation was part of the reason why um, the Return of Faker was kind of next uh, next the right word yeah just why yeah. because in the same weekend I, I, I'm not 100 percent sure I, I know a few people who actually work in the animation industry I won't name names but they said I I guarantee that's why this was done or why your Return of Faker was kind of the kibosh was put on it because the same weekend the revelation cartoon was being announced and i think what what my friend said who works for disney so <laughs> i think he knows what he's talking about he said look imagine you're mattel and you're you're going to announce this cartoon yeah of course kevin smith working on he-man cartoon that's going to get the big announcement but you might get confusion where people come away going, oh, I saw this new He-Man cartoon. You're like, what? It's like, yeah, it looks exactly like Filmation. It was like Faker and and then that could be the problem. And I'm not, I'm not saying that is for certain what happened, but that could have been part of the problem is that, you know, on the Saturday night, we show the return of Faker um, to everyone who could have, you know, who attends and people come away going, oh, and then the following day, there's like this revelation cartoon announced. So yeah, it kind of, the kibosh was put on it and um yeah just it's just one of those things I, I i don't begrudge too much but it sucks because it could have just been so much easier granted we wouldn't have been able to tell this awesome story rob wouldn't have been able to tell this awesome uh fake information story which obviously would tackle my weird career and the return of faker but also saturday morning cartoons and their influence but yeah just um yeah, just, uh, I don't know. It, it's it, it could have been so much easier. Put it on YouTube or NBC Universal. Take it. Put it on DVD. Put it on Blu-ray. Put it on streaming. Just put it on YouTube and yeah. make money off it. I don't care. We we made it because we wanted to make it. It was our love letter to filmation. Like the first end credit on the end credits is dedicated to Lou Scheimer. That's, that's that's all you need to know. It's just like I love that guy. Like I, I met him. I went to his house. He <laughs> uh, was that's the dude. Wonderful. Oh, I was just gonna say, and right now, like I'm walking into Walmart and there's He-Man toys everywhere. You know, these classic uh, reissues, you know, I'm a little on yeah. the fence on, on what I think of them. I, sometimes I think like, well, just, just do remold them, you know, just do the whole new, uh, but you know, it's, it's cool to see that they're there. And I can't help but feel like as someone who's been following you on Instagram and social media for years now, and it's like, I can't help but feel that we're here in this time because of you, because of you pushing, keeping the He-Man love alive in people's faces. Like, I don't follow any news on what Filmation's doing. I follow you and I see what you're doing. And then boom, all of a sudden I see He-Man toys on the, the shelves. I'm like, it's a great time for He-Man, but I get like what, what's going on behind the scenes and everything. But, I, you I know. Think, well, I think the, 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 in fairness to, I mean, it's very nice kind of you say, but I think it's the, it's the, the the He-Man Sherry community isn't one of the biggest, but it's one of the most, I think, passionate and vocal, um, sometimes to its detriment, don't get me wrong, like, and that's like every fan community. But yeah. what, what Mattel seemed to forget is that, um, you know, and I've worked with Mattel, so, you know, I, I'm not biting the hand that feeds me here, but it's like, it's a very small audience, He-Man and she compared to Star Wars or Transformers, or even Ninja Turtles, maybe around about the same, but Ninja Turtles was 
ludicrously popular. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, really was. But yeah, He-Man and She-Ra, obviously more so He-Man, um, I think has been kept alive by the fans because it certainly hasn't been the next generation. You know, that you don't, in, in our community, and now on the Facebook, you know, these days are social media, so the Facebook pages, the Twitters, the Instagrams, the one thing, and I think it's a crying shame, you don't see people talking enough of, is the 2002 toy line, but more importantly, the cartoon. Mm. Because that was, I thought that was one of the best things about He-Man, that 2002 cartoon. A few things I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I would change, but. The, that was the Four thought, Horsemen uh, one, right? The, with all the yeah, Four Horsemen. Four Horsemen yeah, I had, toys and... I had all of those toys, that Triclops toy with the pose that he had like his hand out. Oh, like yeah, that. yeah. So, <laughs> so cool. freaking cool. I, I still have them. I, I loved every single one of that He-Man line. I thought that was such a cool evolution of the series. And, and that's, that's exactly what it was, that they took what had already been established and built on it without kind of forgetting where it came from. So Beastman was still Beastman, Trapdoor yeah. was Trapdoor. They took a character like Triclops and said, let's make it interesting. I love I love Triclops in, in, you know, the original vintage line and the filmation cartoon, but he appeared like, I think it was 10 times out of 130 chances, as it were. So the filmation barely did anything with Triclops. The 2002 come, cartoon comes on, it's like, let's make him almost like a cunning, he's a warrior, but he's also like a mad scientist that he can build stuff. It's just like, oh my God, that's so cool. Uh, you got Trapjaw, you know, all these characters they did something with. Well, it wasn't great how they, I, don't, I wasn't too keen on their, um, Whiplash was more interesting, but Clawful was just a bit too dumb for my liking. But yeah, um, agree. I just thought the 2000, yeah, I thought the 2000, 2002 cartoon was great. And I think, but my point is, it's a shame that, or I think it's, it's it shows you more about the appeal of that show is you don't have a bunch of what they've been now like early 20 somethings on mass celebrating that show which is what mattel were aiming for in 2002 they were hoping you get a bunch of three to four year olds you know to buy that that line which obviously didn't happen it was a bunch of adults yeah. who now had disposable income in their 20s going oh my god a new he-man toy line and, and so what you're getting with Origins, people keep saying about Origins, it's like, oh, this is, you know, I think Mattel even said initially it was like aimed at kids. It's like, I don't think it is because it's a bunch of adults still buying these toys. Um, Revelation is aimed at uh, adults. You've obviously got the, the CGI cartoon, which is going to be firmly aimed at, you know, very young kids. Um, so I'm not sure what that's about. But it, <laughs> my, sorry, my point is, is that we've, the, the fan base are the ones that have kept the brand alive for years because we're the ones that invested in it, invested our passion in it, our love in it. And, you know, whether it be fan fix or stuff like the return of Faker or, you know, fan projects and videos on YouTube that people put up, it's all done out of love. And it's crazy when a corporation turns around and goes, right, you can't do that. And it's like, look, I get it. You own the IP. I'm not arguing with that. But what harm is this doing? Like, really? really what harm is it doing could people watch this and go oh there's a there's a great yeah they could confuse it with being official i've no problem with that i understand why you would shut it down for that but if we're not making money off it then why don't you make money off it and also what harms it? it's just advertising your brand pardon me feel sometimes too that because you know we, we've seen enough of the footage to know how how damn good it is and and, and for them to maybe go Oh wait, maybe is this going to be better than what we're putting out? And maybe, uh, unfortunately, this is what the fans are going to clamor that they want more of versus what we think they're going to 
the want. That's always a problem, isn't it? I mean, you know, I've, I've made this argument to people before. Is I, I, I love filmation. I, um, the, the, the series is obviously my favourite, but like some of my favourite stories are the, um, oh my goodness, the DC produced mini comics. Um, so not the first four, the, the Mark Texera ones, Gary Conrad, them, I think. Those seven mini comics, like the, um, the Trapjaw one, the Triclops one, the Tale of Teela, the, uh, the Magic Stealer, the, the Many Faces mini comic. The PowerPoint dread, all those mini comics I thought were just so perfect. And I always said that that's, that's the cartoon I would like to see. Maybe Revelation is going to tap into that. Don't get me wrong, I love Formation. It's still my favorite. Yeah. But I mean, I, I remember like um, last year when we did, um, you know, during the, the, uh, the pandemic or at least the initial, you know, craziness of the world shutting down, I, I said, oh, I really want to give people something to look forward to every week and smile. So, I came up with this idea of Master Universe 85, which would be like a retro comic that, you know, told a story over however many issues I wanted. I was like, oh, I've got a really good idea. We started it. I wrote the first issue. Unfortunately, like the artists got busy with other things, like, you know, work that paid far better than I was because I'm just like a guy going, hey, look, let's do They were on the artist. Adam Moore is, is like one of the incredible artists. Um, and yeah, we started doing this, this comic, Master Universe 85. And yeah, it was it was really nice to put that out, um, and that was like that was kind of my vision for what a new He-Man comic or cartoon should be, which is you take those filmation ideals in terms of characters. I'm not saying Skeletor flying off on a rocket ship, going no, but more Skeletor in the Dragon Invasion or Diamond Ray of Disappearance when he was being written by the writers who didn't know that he was going to have this high-pitched voice and would play into the humour more. You know, the writers back then were just, you know, Paul Dini, Michael Reeves, even Larry Dottilio in some of his earlier work was just, you know, this is the villain, I'm going to write him like it says on the box, our evil Lord of Destruction, you know, demon from another dimension. They wrote him like that. And then you had, you know, uh, eventually the writers were like, oh, if we play this guy for laughs, it kind of works like that. So my, my idea or my, my kind of vision for Mars Universe 85 was let's just, keep Skeletor in that kind of, you know, he'll occasionally go like, ah, hey man, but just keep it there, not like wacky Skeletor, which is, uh, you know, one of those things where people think, oh, that's how Skeletor was always written. It's like, go back and watch it. Listen to the, read the dialogue, listen to the dialogue. It's not oh, yeah. all like hearts and flowers. <laughs> I remember when I would show, uh, we watched the show in order, uh, my son and I, Bodhi and I, and he was scared for the first couple of episodes because he was, he, granted he was three at the time but now he watches mm. them and he you know has no problem with it but at the time he was it was freaking him out you know and he's like let's not i don't want to watch this right now and then forget <laughs> about it with uh with the 2000 with the the 2000 series you know he was just like you know we had the we had the benefit of meeting um gabe uh kouth before oh, he gabe played, Huth, played orco yeah yeah kouth and um and, and he and Bodie had a really sweet interaction at, oh, that's at really the first nice. power con and he introduced Bodhi on stage and they had a little back and forth. Oh. Really sweet. And he was just unbelievably nice and rest in peace. Obviously he passed away in 2019. Yeah, um, tragically. But um, I, I said, Bodhi, do you want to start watching the, 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 the 2000 series? It's like, yeah, let's do it. And we watch it. And he's like, no, let's turn it off. It's too much. You know, <laughs> it was too no. time. <laughs> one year goes by and he's like, let's do it all. Let's watch them all, you know? And, and, and I just love, yeah, I love that you created that comic. It's beautiful. Um, and, 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 I only saw it on Facebook, but is there another way for fans to, to check out that comic now? 
I think Facebook's probably the, still the best way to check it out. I'm trying to think, was it anywhere? Where did I upload it to? I think I did Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. But Facebook, uh, I think probably Twitter was probably the best way of looking at it. But it was it was one of those things that it was just so piss poorly planned. It was just, well, it wasn't piss poorly planned, but just I would just throw the pages online and be like, hey, you might get a page this week. I don't know. Um, so, yeah, I, I wouldn't say there's a recommended. It's like if, if anybody checks out my Facebook profile, they could they would be able to go into like, fuck, I've got a public profile. So they'd be able to go into photos and then see the Marcy Lewis 85 album but cool. I think we only ever did like eight or nine pages even though I wrote the first issue and I was like oh and the second issue is going to be so good and it's still something I want to do again it's like the return of Faker it's it's, it's not a project that I believe is over it's like Marcy yeah. Lewis 85 I I really want to and I, I believe there's something there that could appeal to yeah more because sorry what, what I was saying before about why I started talking about the 85 comic was when it was announced, or sorry, when it was announced, when I when I did like a little announcement saying, oh, I'm going to do this comic. And I think I mocked um, the New Adventures of He-Man. I said, oh, and I, I said something like, this comic won't feature evil uncles um, like Keldor. And um, even though that was never officially, officially said, I was like, no evil uncles, no ponytails in space, which amazingly, I couldn't believe this. I was like, oh, everybody's offended these days, which led to a bunch of, Dreamwave, Dreamwave, DreamWorks, She-Ra fans going after me, being like, "Oh, you can almost taste the misogyny." I'm like, "No, oh boy, you guys, you guys have done no research." I'm talking about the new adventure of He-Man, which, oddly enough, I love as a cartoon. Yeah. It was actually a really good cartoon, but I can understand why people hate it. So I was like, "Yeah, don't worry, we're not going to touch the new adventure of He-Man." Um, and uh, yeah, and I did this announcement, and what, I remember one guy. I mean, the only well. Like with most things you do in life, it's like the, the, the positive reaction far outweighs the negative, but it's always that one negative comment just stays with you. And there's one guy I'll never forget totally. his comment. It was just, it was an amazing comment. I was like, oh, what kind of one on my headstone? He wrote, um, he wrote, uh, why would I want to read uh, a guy's, why would I want to read this guy's comic? He, uh, he, clear, he, he believes that the Formation cartoon was written on God's parchment paper. Mm. And I was like, chill out, man. I just like the filmation cartoon. Like, you like the Savage <laughs> He-Man, like, you know, that lasted for four issues, so four like. comics. So it's, it's, we're all, and that's the thing I keep telling people, and this is another topic, but I'll try and keep it brief. But I always say it's like, I, I understand why people have their chosen one. But I think by saying, oh, the filmation cartoon is crap and only my Savage He-Man is great or my... Uh, dream, DreamWorks, she I keep saying DreamWave, I'm going back to Pat Lee and Transformers. Um, <laughs> my my, um, my, my dream, DreamWorks, she is the best cartoon. Or the, it's like, no, man, you should like embrace something from each of those and kind of, that's what makes it great. Like I say, I love the Formation cartoon, but I can see the early kind of joy and kind of, I, I get the savagery. I don't like the depiction of those characters because I think it's quite lacking, but it's like, Oh, I do like Skeletor in those early comics, um, those first four mini comics. Then you've got the DC comics. I'm like, oh, I love him in this. And I love the world of Eternia. And then you've got the Filmation cartoon. Then you've got the 2002 cartoon. Even the new adventure of He-Man had its moments with some like really amazing episodes where it's like, oh, if only that was a Filmation episode. <laughs> but yeah, they, um, it's, it's, I just think sometimes the fan base is so kind of narrow-minded. Don't get me wrong, we're all guilty of it. Like someone will say, oh, I love this episode. And you're like, oh, you're nuts. But it's, to each their own, I guess. Um, well, I think yeah, that's, a, that's a really good point you bring up because, um, you know, I went went down a rabbit hole with G.I. Joe in this past year with my son and he, we were, we were killing those 
uh, original series over and over again, watching the cartoons and, and we probably watched both seasons probably two or three times for every episode. Right. And then he says, uh, I said, he says, is there any more uh, GI Joe out there? And I said, yeah, there is some of the stuff I have to wait on. Cause it's, you know, the, the anime uh, ones they did recently, or, and then we also watched renegades. Uh, but I said, there's this, there's this Sunbow one. That's, that's pretty pop. Well, not really that popular. He's like, let's watch it. And I said, well, it's, it's not supposed to be really good. And he goes, no, let's check it out. You know? So we watched the news that the, whatever season that was, I think it was like 19, I want to say it was like 89 or 90. When it, it was, came a, out. No, it, was a, it wasn't Sunbell. I think it was Deke, wasn't it? It was Deke. Sorry, it was Deke. It. Thank you. Yeah. It was Deke. Sun, so, Sunbell did the work with Toei, Toei Doga and did all the, the animation, the original, but yeah, Deke, it was that I've never seen that series. We watched it in, in, from beginning to end. Um, and so it goes back to what you're saying. Two trains of thought. One train of thought going, oh, this is complete crap, you know, trash. <laughs> and then the other side, he loved it. And I said, well, oh, what, nice. what do you love about it? He's like, well, I love all the colors and I love all the uh, the characters. And because it was, it was a lot more neon and just that early. Yeah, yeah I remember seeing screenshots and thinking, Whoa, yeah, it wasn't terrible, I guess. Is, is that uh, extreme G.I. Joe? Was no, this is before extreme, okay, which, okay. which had its own audience. But yeah. I guess it, ga- it gave me the the attitude of like, you know what? There's a there's always going to be an audience for a certain type of that series you know like you said yeah, the new up, adventures up had its fans i was gonna say after you sent Bodie to his room with no food for the rest of the- <laughs> yeah pretty much i was like okay you're still wrong but i'll watch it with you now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I, I will say too you know um uh you in between what we, where we are now and in 2019 you were considering other projects and at one point you were considering kind of digging deeper into like tmnt and the real ghostbusters right as far as like either writing a book about it or, or yeah think- i really wanted to do an unofficial like i won't profess to being an expert with um, ninja turtles i love those i think because over here, obviously, we had it butchered to um, Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles, which <laughs> yeah. was an abomination. I mean, it's it's so funny. I, one, one thing I do want to do this year um, is start a YouTube channel and do. I, I wrote down a list. I was like, how many videos could I feasibly make over the space of so many years? And I was like, after like a day of writing, I was like, well, apparently 525. OK, so, <laughs> so I've got enough like subjects up here that, and don't get me wrong, I'm sure there are videos on it already on the net, but it's on the net like, on youtube <laughs> but i i thought like there's some really you know like there's nudity in the real ghostbusters like i want to bring that to the forefront or there's an incantation incantation that's used in dungeon dragons and the real ghostbusters these are things that i clocked as a kid when i was a kid sorry as, as an adult when i was working on the dvds i was like holy cow and you look oh same writer so there's all these like little um, bits and pieces so um for, um for the for the youtube channel i really wanted to do like just uh, an un, uh, uh, you know uh, a breakdown of some of the horrendous um, edits. Then one of my favourite episodes of Ninja Turtles is one called uh, Turtles on Trial, which was from season three, and it's a beautiful. It's one of the best looking episodes because obviously Ninja Turtles, like Real Ghostbusters, and so many other shows of the eighties, had their work sent overseas to be animated. So sometimes you get the A team working out, or the B team, or the C team, or this studio or that studio. Um, Tiny Toons was infamous for having so many different styles. But, um, yeah, when it came to uh, Ninja Turtles, there's one one animation studio that just put out some amazing work. It was like Turtles on Trial. The Fifth Turtle was another episode they did. Um, but Turtles on Trial is gorgeous. And it was always one of my favourites because it looks so damn good. 
some really good fight scenes in it. But when it was broadcast in the UK, which is when I first saw it, it was it was butchered to the point of absurdity during there's like a scene at the museum on the Ninja Turtles, or sorry, the Hero Turtles are fighting Shredder, Bebop, and Rocksteady. And what yeah, I I I did I put a couple of videos on um, I think on my Instagram, but it's something that I think if I put on YouTube, people would just be their mind would be blind. There was like, I think about I worked, I think it was like one minute fifty-nine remote one one minute fifty-nine. Uh, minutes of footage removed from the episode uh, wow. sorry 59 seconds removed from the episode it was it was crazy the amount That's of footage lot. they took out just like then there's one bit when um the, the best scene the best edit in it that makes no sense and even as a kid i was how old was i ninja turtles was shown in the uk i've been like 13 12 13 i think but even then you knew something was wrong and the music would suddenly abruptly change or <laughs> Or in this case, when suddenly Michelangelo was wearing a helmet from a suit of armor with random pieces of armor around him, you're like, what happened? Like, what? Why is he? And there's an entire scene where Michelangelo donned a suit of armor, was spinning his nunchucks, no. charging at Shredder. Shredder's got a crossbow and he's firing at Michelangelo, and then he starts doing the run. And then um, I think it's Bebop starts chucking cannonballs. One hits Michelangelo. Michelangelo's like, oh, what a so you say like break what what a what a modern concept breakaway uh, like armor threads or something like that all these all armor falls off but in the in the uk version when they aired that that entire scene was missing so michelangelo goes from saying oh major brainstorm to bebop just throwing a cannonball whatever and he's got a piece of armor on his head it's like what did i miss <laughs> uh, there's and just just other scenes so many one, one of the most amazing ones about that was when shredder um it's a really lovely sequence. He's about to leave the museum, him, Bebop, and Rocksteady are running off. And he turns, he goes, you may think you've won, you've won Turtles, but you've lost. And he turns around, he throws a shuriken, or a ninja, a throwing star. And as he throws it, in the original version, it spins, it's almost like it does a slow-mo bit. It's really kind of unique. He throws it, and it suddenly just, as it spins through the air, it slows down, and exits out shot. <laughs> in the UK one, because they didn't want to show throwing stars, he just... His arm goes like that, and then there's like an explosion. You're like, what is he, a wizard? It's just really <laughs> But um, but sorry, you're going back to your 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 question, um, Zach. Yeah, I um I really would love to do. I mean, I, I definitely want to do a guide on um, real Ghostbusters because I love that cartoon so much. And I, I when when we worked on I worked on the um work on the time life uh, uh dvd release that was so much fun to work and i went out to america got to just chat to all these you know voice actors maurice lamarche laura summer uh the writers um so many of the writers oh my god some of the animators um character designers it was even like the guys who had produced uh um michael gross and joe medchuk who had produced the original movie as well because they were involved in the cartoon got to meet them everybody was so lovely and yeah it was um i mean during that time i was a big fan of real ghostbusters but when you kind of hear all that and you absorb all that information you just suddenly oh my god i want to do something with this and yeah put all the you know some of the information into a dvd booklet but i could i, I really love to sit down you know take probably half a year but just sit down and watch every single episode of the real ghostbusters and go right um you know and have and break it down as i did almost with the unofficial he-man guide which is you you have i think i had one section in the unofficial he-man guide every once in a while um in an episode i would call a section called the power of he-man where it's he-man lifting a mountain it's he-man effortlessly 
far too effortlessly moving the moon. It's He-Man <laughs> doing this. It's He-Man changing the tide. It's He-Man, like the power of He-Man. Or like I had a section called Wizard of Weapons, where it's like this episode, Trapjaw is actually using his arm for something. Um, so I thought for the real Ghostbusters, because their characters were written so strongly, you could have like Egonism. So it's like when Egon says something like, "I was one episode, um, no one comes to Loopersville, I think it is. He's, he's like, oh no, that's Winston. It's like, it's like talking, to, <laughs> he's talking about it. He's talking about Egon to like someone else. And he goes, um, yeah, it's like talking to your own armpit. And Egon's like, talking to your own armpit, Winston? <laughs> he's like, sorry, old boy. But yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> you can really break down some really good character things because those characters in real Ghostbusters, I've said before, love He-Man and She-Ra, but the real Ghostbusters, at least for that syndicated season, which was, I think, 68 or 78 episodes, that was the best, in my opinion, best written cartoon of the 80s. Because if you look at that series Bible, Straczynski, J. Michael Straczynski, who'd worked on He-Man and She-Ra and various other cartoons, just said in the series Bible, we're not writing a Saturday morning cartoon. We're writing episodes about the movie, the real the characters from the Ghostbusters movie. And it's great. Like he said, it's 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 tropes that eventually would be broken in the real Ghostbusters when he left a story editor and then you know they you know Slimer became one of the stars in the show and they were like, yeah, let's do whatever. And um yeah in his series Bible he says like no episodes where um what did he say? It's like no episodes where the characters get shrunk, no episodes when <laughs> so and so forgets their birthday, no episodes, and it was all these like tropes of like, oh my god, that's literally every episode of every cartoon I've ever seen, or even like yeah. TV yeah. sitcoms or something. Totally, it's a really great series bible. But um, and yeah, from those, if you go back and watch those, I forget, I think it's seventy eight syndicate season. It's just the strongest writing you'll ever see in Saturday morning cartoons, and I, I would just love to. Like I say, do an unofficial guide about that. Um, maybe one day. Ninja Turtles probably would be a bit of a chore, just because I, uh, personally speaking, that first those first three seasons were great. And then for me, the show just fell off a cliff where it's like, it's Michelangelo versus the musician man or something. So it's like, what is this? What is- I, yeah. I think that- uh, I think you and Corey need to do an uh, an, an uh, unofficial podcast of breaking down every single episode of real <laughs> ghostbusters because Corey is quite possibly uh as far as i know next to you one of the bigger fans out there as far as the original oh, good to him uh, yeah i mean i i tell people uh, uh lorenzo music is my peter vinkman of all peter vinkman's so yep. you know it's in in r.i.p obviously um but oh, just fantastic fantastic guy like just uh, how do you create a void? I mean, that was <laughs> one, the one thing. So funny, funny story about that. Um, it, it's going to sound like a really weird, uh, unattached anecdote at first. So when we did the DVDs for the He-Man series in the UK, I met uh, um, the producer of the DVDs. Uh, took me to lunch. He was like, "Oh, you're the you're the He-Man cartoon guy." So like, we really like to work on the DVDs. I was like, "Oh, great." Just take you to lunch. Like, okay, I'm being, I'm being wined and dined, or in this case, I think it was coffee and coffee and Japanese noodled. Anyway, that's a bit <laughs> weird. So we went to um, went to this restaurant and chatted, and it was clear we both had a lot of eighties cartoons. And then bear in mind, this was when this information really wasn't out there, but it was just what I'd accumulated over the years in terms of like knowledge. Is that we're both sitting there in two thousand three, and we're talking about real Ghostbusters. And I said, oh, I'd love it if you guys, you know, I said, I love He-Man Shriver. I said, oh my God, if you guys could get the rights to release that. And he's like, yeah. And I said, you know, we could include like 
commentaries and talk about you know how Lorenzo music was um, the voice of Garfield and uh, and he's like yeah right and then Bill Murray's like yeah and then Bill Murray took, became Garfield after getting Lorenzo kicked off of the real guys <laughs> just stuff like that it's just and then the, the, and that was the moment where we realized oh we're going to be working together me and this producer on the <laughs> TV days is like yeah we we know really obscure trivia and I think that's even popped up in um, it was it was in an episode of Rick and Morty they talked about it. Yeah. What? What's going on? Did you happen to go to uh, Ghostbusters Fan Fest uh, a few years back? Were you there? No, I didn't go to that. Like, I, I know it's going to sound weird, um, but like, I kind of don't get me wrong. I love real Ghostbusters, and I part of the reason I want to write this book is I want to fall in love with it again because so there, there, I can't get into too many details about this, but basically, um, I I think it was around about two thousand and nine or something. No, eight or nine. I there was like a IDW were doing these Ghostbuster comics. They weren't really finding an audience. They seemed to treat the Ghostbusters in a very bizarre fashion. So I approached um, Dan Schooning, who was an artist I'd worked with on Serial Geek, and I said, Dan, I was like, you know, why don't we do like a, a pitch for a Ghostbusters comic? And a friend of mine, Jimmy Hayes, who runs, uh, oh, sorry, used to work at Gold, uh, Golden Golden Crackers Comics or something like that. Not Grand Crackers, but one of these. Um, oh, I forget, what was his name? I forget the name of his company. Anyway, really, really nice guy. Um, he said, yeah, you should go for it. He said, I think you'd have a good chance of getting the comic, you know, done. I was like, okay. So I um, I wrote this I wrote this 10-issue story arc, once 10. And I, I just, and also, I'd just been to New York as well for the first time in my life. In, yeah, it was in February of 2009. Been in New York, came back. And it's weird, like because I, I, unintentionally but also somewhat purposely, purposefully gone in, gone and found many movie locations from real from Ghostbusters. And you know, you didn't have Ghostbuster tours. You know where you know where the firehouse was. Yeah. But then I'd be walking down the street, and I'm like, oh, you know, we're in Central Park. And I was like, oh my god, it's where Rick Moranis is banging on the glass. You know, all this <laughs> like all these locations. I was like, oh my god, that's the apartment where you know. The, the big battle happens and oh that's that and I found all these like really I even went to um it's one of my favorite photos <laughs> that I ever got taken I went to um Columbia University um because I wasn't even sure which university they were at I, was, I should have done my more research but because originally I went down to a university at the bottom of uh, Manhattan and then me and my friend realized oh my god it's all the way at the other end it's like a 107 <laughs> or something so we kind of got a cab and then walked a little bit and I found the very wall where Vegan's like yeah. drinking his booze and having that conversation. I basically recreated the, the end from is if you try and extend your legs like he does, you can't because there's a fence in the way. So you have to put your feet for a fence. So when the person taking the photo of you, they have to kind of crop your feet. But I recreate that photo and people are like, how did you find that? I'm like, I really don't know. But um, <laughs> so I, I had this huge love of Ghostbusters, came back from New York and I was like, I said to Dan Shooting, the artist, I was like, we should do this comic. So like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, I basically wrote this pitch. I laid out the issue as well. I was like, we should do this kind of thing. And it was like a five page thing. And um, I think, yeah, one of the things I wanted was I wanted Janine to look, have her hairstyle. Because we were doing movie versions of the characters. But I said, for Janine, we've got to give her uh, the Ghostbusters 2 movie Bob. Because like, one, that's one of the greatest hairdos ever. But it's just, it's that, just yeah. even in animation, that, that, that kind of, that Bob just looks fantastic. So I was like, let's give her that. And I wrote this like story where there's this big explosion, the Ghostbusters are each coming out and they're interviewed by 
I, I did like a little real Ghostbusters reference, which was Cynthia Crawford, who's the news reporter from the Citizen yep. Ghost and a few yep. other shows. Yep. Mm-hmm. So she turns up and she's interviewing them. But I thought, what a great way to create this pitch and understand these characters would be as each of them is exiting this event, there's been this big explosion, they each give their, you know, they each give their unique take on it. And I think I, I can't remember, like Winston walks out, and he's like, no comment. Then you've got Egon or Egon talking about like something like, oh, it was a big blah, blah, blah. Yeah, typical Egon speak. And then Ray comes out, he's like holding the trap. He's all like super excited. It's like everything we've ever seen in Ghostbusters. Like, oh my God. And then Venkman comes out and he's like, he says something like to Cynthia Crawford. He's like, hey, what's shaking kind of thing. And they, they talk about it. And then it's, it's proper, I guess, what they would call, um, I forget the term, but yeah, it's very much, I'm acknowledging that a movie has been made at this point in the comic. Cause he says, she said something like, I th- I th- she goes, I think I found your movie personality more charming. And he goes, he, and he says something like, Bill Murray, I never did quite understand that casting. <laughs> and then, and then he, Peter turns to the camera, he goes, he goes, um, Janine, if you're, if, if you're watching this, like, he says, something like, I've not put the kettle on or, or just, you know, something called the other, it's, it's a derogatory comment. And she's eating a Chinese meal. She's got like a meatball and she just says like, any pots wouldn't put up with this. And I thought it was like a really like fun little, <laughs> Well, and I wrote these, I so I wrote these first um, 10 issues, or I wrote this story arc over 10 issues. And I was going to have, oh my God, so, it's, it's so weird as I talk about it, I can almost feel like the joy of the creation again. But the end of the first issue was going to be the girl from the opening scene at the university when doing the old electric test. Oh, oh okay. Kelly Runyon. Yes, Kelly Runyon. And so she was going to turn up um, and she was going to be like, she was going to be possessed and all this. And there was going to have a whole story with her. And she was like, but you, you kind of came on to me and you love me and all this. And it was going to get quite deep in the sense. And then I was going to have all these moments where it's completely ruins it, but we're not, it's never going to see the light of day. Each, <laughs> each and every, like every few issues, a new character would be introduced who would almost like, it wouldn't be obvious, but you know, Ray would go on a date with this girl or Winston would be hanging with this dude at a bar and Pete would meet someone and Egon would meet a fellow scientist. And then in the very last issue, it's revealed that Walter Peck, if you can't beat him, joined he's assembling his own team of Ghostbusters. Mm. And I had this idea of like, oh my God, Walter Peck is, assembles his own Ghostbusters. Like, what, you know, the very thing he hates the most is the thing, you know, that drives him to create his own, you know, com- competing company. But the very last, the very last panel I was going to have in the comic of issue 10 was going to be Dana Barrett uh, knocks on the firehouse. And they haven't seen each other since, you know, this this kind of Ghostbusters 2 hasn't happened yet. This is like straight after the first movie. So I was going to have like Peter and Dana haven't seen each other for a while. And Dana comes into the firehouse. I think they're in the kitchen or something up, upstairs on the first floor. And they're eating. And she kind of enters the room. And it's like a, the final splash. splash it was like going to be a splash page, with like a little panel at the bottom. The first splash page was Dana Barrett standing there pregnant. And um, and then it would have Peter just turn and tell this going, don't look at me. Because I just had this idea of, oh, my God, what if she's like, she got pregnant by Rick Moranis or, or yeah. you know, Lewis Tully. I was like, you could have like a whole thing out of that. Yeah. So anyway, that that pitch, um, IDW were like, now nah, we're not interested. They actually said, this is the irony of what they said, uh, we're not interested in the art style. And I was like, ooh, um, because obviously they would be for <laughs> many years that followed. Yeah. Um, and um, so anyway, I was like, okay, well, and then Dan said, why don't we put it online? the pitch and I was like oh what a great idea 
So Dan uploaded it to his DeviantArt and it got, this is like, it's crazy to think what it would have done these days, but this is before Facebook, this was Facebook in 2009, Twitter was its infancy and it, it gained so much popularity when we did this pitch. We created a Facebook page, which was called like the, un, the unproduced or the unpublished Ghostbusters comic, put the page up, people loved it. Um, may even still be online, I don't know. And um, and then the New York Daily News got in touch and said, oh, we'd really like to interview about this comic. I was like, really? Okay. So I gave an interview there. And then about a week or two later, IDW got in touch and said, would you guys be interested in, you know, working for us? So, okay. So Dan did a, um, I, I think he did a Christmas story for them. And then they said to me, do you want to write like a nine page backup story that we're going to put in a trade paper? And I was like, oh, of course. And they said, well, we think it's like a good, almost like a test run. So like, okay. So I wrote this nine page issue and I said, it's got to be holiday themed. So I was like, oh man. And they, I said, what's taken? They said, you know, Christmas, Halloween, this. I was like, bloody hell. I was like, what's, what have I got left? And they said, I think it was Valentine's or Thanksgiving. I was like, give me Thanksgiving. So I took, I, I did a nine page Thanksgiving story. And the review is it's crazy when you look back. It's, and it's it, again, it's humbling and also <laughs> bloody lovely. But someone reviewed that trade paperback and it collected a lot of the those earlier IDD, IDW comics. And, it, and quite a few of the reviews said, yeah, it's great. But the true star of this comic is this nine page Thanksgiving story because the writer, not even though it won't even say my name, like, but the writer gets these characters. Like, of course, I remember like reading Straczynski's Guide to Script Writing and he said, when he was writing the real, uh, real Ghostbusters cartoon, he said he could hear those voices because they had become so entrenched. And I was like, yeah, as a fan, as, a, as somebody who watched that movie once a month, I, I knew those characters inside out. You know that Ray would say something, I think Winston, Egon, Venk, uh, you know, these guys would talk a certain way. So yeah, that comic went out and IDW said, create pitches, like a few pitches for us. I was like, oh my God, brilliant. So I had this idea, I was going to try and incorporate that 10 issue thing and tell other stories. I said, we think we'll give you like a couple of mini series. I was like, brilliant. Um, and then they just went very quiet. And I said to Dan, have you heard anything? He was like, no, no, I've heard anything. I said, that's weird. Quiet, quiet, you know, months went by. I messaged, uh, I think it was a guy called Tom Waltz at IDW. This is all like, I've got all the email evidence still. <laughs> yeah. And I said, um, I said, hey, you know, what about this? What about that? just no responses like, that is weird and then i'll never forget i was staying at my friends in i wasn't living in london at the time i took a few years out, out and it was i think it was like 2010 and i'd come home from work and he was he was out and i came back to his place and he had like a really nice apartment and i'm walking i'm turning on my laptop going off facebook and facebook had just introduced the, the you know the main page of facebook because before it was just profiles and then they introduced here's the main page what all the information is going to be and I clicked on the main page and it broke my heart. The first thing I saw was new Ghostbusters comic um, written by whoever. I forget. I don't think it was Eric Burnham. It was someone illustrated by Dan Schooning. And I was like, what? And I emailed Dan. I just, again, I've got the emails. And I said, dude, what, uh, what happened? Uh, and he goes, I said, I'm, I'm really happy for you. I said, I think this isn't I was really happy for you. I was trying to be very <laughs> diplomatic. I said, I'm really happy for you that you got the gig. And I said, it's not so much that I've got nothing out of this, but I said, don't, don't you think kind of would have been nice to, you know, tell me in advance, like rather than find yeah. out like everybody else. And he just, he just said something like, oh, I'm sorry, I was like too busy or I forgot. And I was just like, oh, okay. Oh. And then, and then, yeah, I saw that IDW comic and I couldn't, I could never find, you know, it, it sounds terrible. It just, it, that kind of killed Ghostbusters for me. That was, in, it's been over 10 years. I've, 
I haven't watched the movie all the way through in all that time. I don't, yeah, and I used to watch it monthly. I haven't watched the cartoon in years properly, like the odd episode here and there. Yeah. It just, it, it was really kind of disheartening. I know it wasn't the Ghostbusters' fault, <laughs> the Ghostbuster gods, but it was, I just came away going, oh man, I felt like a, I've told this story to a few people in the industry and they're like, yeah, it's, it could be cutthroat, you know, the comics industry. And I was like, yeah, I get that. But if someone had come, if that was me, I, and like, hey, we're going to hire the writer instead of the artist or whatever. If I had been the artist, I would have said, I, I'd have gone, look, I've signed an NDA or whatever and I can't say anything, but they've hired me to be the artist or the writer or whatever. I thought I'd let you know. Yeah. Just be like that. Because then you're like, okay, well, I've been, I've been, it sucks, but I've cushioned the blow. But, but when I found out like every other schmo on the internet, I was just like, oh man, it just, yes. it just yeah. really, it just really hurt. And I was just like, all oh, that kind of, and there, and there was then, I remember like picking up, I was in Los Angeles, my friend Lee and I went into a comic shop and I picked up on the IDW issues and I looked at the back page and there was an illustration that I'd originally commissioned for Serial Geek that was never finished, that was suddenly in the IDW coming. Oh. I was like, uh, so yeah, I mean, you know, don't get me wrong, it's like a bitter pill. For it's, yeah. it's just one of those things. It, it just, it, you know, it, it sucks. But, and that's kind of why, like, oh, you brought all these memories back, Zach. <laughs> I'm <laughs> um, sorry, and you're welcome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like a therapy session. So yeah, I mean, so that's partly why I kind of really desperately at some point want to sit down and write a real Ghostbusters, whether it be probably unofficial guide, because it would almost like recapture some of that love and allow me to put something out that's Ghostbuster related. Yeah, it might be unofficial, and let's face it, that's how I do things these days. Make another documentary about it, uh, you know, right. faking Ghostbusters or something. <laughs> but, but yeah, I just thought like that's that book would. I don't need reminding why I love the real Ghostbusters or the movies, but it would be nice to kind of. It, I just don't feel like it's in my heart at the moment. Um, yeah. The show, and it's like I know it can be. I I adored the real Ghostbusters. You know when I, <laughs> when when we were making the Time Life set, I I must have looked like a giddy schoolgirl when I think it was um Kevin Altieri walked in and he was like, I've got this bag of like a folder of um like it's like a leather folder you unzipped it and inside was like the storyboard for the pilot and i was like oh my god that's the the pilot like the three minute or three and a half minute uh real ghostbusters pilot when they're all in their tan tan uniforms he's yeah. like yeah he goes i've also got the epic like the, the table's like oh my god you've got it he's like yeah and i was like oh my god and he goes you guys want it we were like man I mean, it was andy mangles who was like the producer on the, on the set just we just looked at each other i was like yeah of course that night, I went back to the hotel, staying at like um, uh, a, oh God, um, Howard Johnson Inn at um, Reseda. <laughs> I got back and Andy had rented like a VHS uh, player. It was like a VHS DVD combo, actually. So it was 2008. So connected it to the TV. And I remember even, it's so geeky, but it's, this proves how much love I had for the real Ghostbusters. I took a photo of the VHS tape. I took a photo of me holding it. I took a photo <laughs> of the, the 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 caption where it said like, you know, Ghostbusters pilot, da -da -da, run to, you know, the um, the dub house when they would make a dub, you give a little title card. And I was like, oh my God, I can't imagine going to see this. Because at that point, I'd only seen like little snippets on these really random film film reels that they released in the UK. That In the UK in 1990, we had no idea why this footage of the Ghostbusters in these... 20 second clips that's all they were just like 20 seconds here, 20 seconds that wasn't the full thing why are they why like this when did this get made you know you're just yeah. so confused so when the you know the I'm, I'm standing there about like standing in the hotel about to watch the vhs tape 
I was just so excited. I was like, oh my God, the following day, the next time. Of I course. Have an El it's just like, that was like the best thing ever. It's just like, yeah. you guys made a lot of fun making it. And they, they talked about how they storyboarded it. It's like, we just, we literally just went, right, what happens in the movie? Okay, well, let's just do a thing where this happens, this happens. It's just like a case of escalation. And it was, it's just one of the best pilots um, alongside like the pilot for the Mask uh, TV series, as in, well i i you know we we equally share your your love and affection for all these shows because we're true fans of this stuff the fact that we get to sit and talk to you for you know 90 minutes of, about what we mutually love this love of of nostalgia I, i'm convinced that that the 80s were the definitive decade for pop culture and entertainment bar none period there will never be anything better than this there was never anything better i think everything that built up to the 80s was was just it's it's the top it's the top of the pops for me um and so having you on the show getting to reveal basically that your love letter to filmation the documentary documenting the whole thing it's going to be made it's going to happen it continues to grow i know at, at the point of this airing the campaign uh will have a couple more weeks to go before it's you know before it's done or maybe about a week or so um but regardless it's it's still it's going to be it's gangbusters and for you to come on and, and, and talk about all this stuff is so meaningful uh, you know, yeah, you're a friend, but also like we hold you in a, in a, in a certain regard. We want you to know that, that no, very you. high <laughs> regard. No, I appreciate that, man. It's, it's just, but like, you know, it's, I'm just, I don't use like, I use the word lucky because the hard work's been involved, but I'm just one of those fans that just, just pursued those things and just thought, ah, screw the real world. I'll see what happens if I do this. Everything, I, I, I guess I've been fortunate in that sense is that, you know, and it, I know it sounds terrible. It is a case of, it, you know, obviously you have to know stuff. You have to be, you know, somewhat talented, but it, it does boil down to the fact of who you know as well. So like I, yes. you know, knowing, you know, over the years, people like Val Staples or Emiliano or um, I'm trying to think now, like, or even the people at Filmation or the people at Mattel yeah. um, have all been able to, to um I've been I've benefited from from knowing them and it hasn't been like <laughs> I've used those people it's just they they know they get like Val if uh, Val if they said to Val hey Val um you know if Dark Horse said we want to make a filmation comic Val would no doubt go Etoc get over it right now because that's that's what you do and it's the same with me if someone said make a comic about the 2000 oh, sorry yeah make a 2002 comic I'd be I'd get Yuka Isakina I'm like Yuka come over here because you're the you're the 2002 but you it's just yeah, I've, I've been, I guess I've been fortunate and um, but yeah, I've also worked bloody hard as well. <laughs> yeah, it's a combination of all those things. And I think at the end of the day, the, the, the most important factor is that you're a good person. And it's nice that, uh, you know, uh, like that line from Megaforce, the good guys always win, even in the 80s. So, <laughs> which is my favorite line, by the way. And, and uh, as someone who's who's just been following you and and following the the faking or the return of fake lore and everything for for so long now, it's it's nice to actually meet you and uh, you know see that you're you're a cool person in person as well. But uh, it's also nice to you know get the full story as to what what happened behind the scenes and everything and and what was going on with it. And uh, man, we're we're definitely watching it. Um, and like like Zach said, when this airs, I think there will probably still be a week left uh, on the project 
project. So uh, James, we'll, offline, we'll get the link from you and everything, and and we'll have oh, it yeah, in the show course, notes yeah. and and whatnot. And uh, we'll have all of all of James's uh, uh, links uh, everywhere, you know, uh, social media and stuff. So you'll be able to track him down and, and find him. But at this point, I mean, I can assume that most everyone listening to this probably knows who you are, or at least has you know come across uh, something that you've worked on and and the He-Man stuff and everything. And and I think that that they're going to really appreciate getting the the full story on things and and understanding what was going on behind the scenes and and whatnot but what you're putting out there is truly remarkable and it's it always keeps me excited for he-man one of my favorite comic books as a kid or, or shows cartoons everything Pro, you know i'm from the 80s so he-man of course so I appreciate that you always sort of keep me every day. I get to, oh, a little, little bit of He-Man fun almost every day yeah, coming exactly. on, my, on my Instagram feed, you know? Yeah. And you know what? At the end of the day, it makes me happy. I'm just like, He-Man makes me happy. Awesome. Thank you, James. Thank you for that. <laughs> no, no, I, t- I, t- I totally get that. It's, it's, sometimes it's a form of escapism. Sometimes it's just, yeah, you get to see what you love. But I think that's, yeah, that's the beauty about social media is I've, I've always just, you know, once in a while you'll have a, like a bad day and it's like, oh, I'm going to post this very annoying thing. I mean, I very rarely talk about real world, world things, but yeah, one of the things I always wanted to do with social media, and I guess with, in general, with my career, it sounds a bit, uh, I don't know, a bit self-congratulatory, but it's just like, I just want to entertain people. I just want to give stuff people that makes people smile and go, oh, that's cool. Totally. That's why I don't understand going out of your way to go i don't like this or something it's just like now nah, I, I understand why people have opinions of course if someone says what do you think for example of the origins figures i'll be like yeah not my cup of tea but i'm glad that it's found an audience and that it's keeping he-man alive that's all yeah. you can ask for totally. so yeah every, everybody's allowed their opinion um but yeah it's been um it's been a blast and, and thank you for having me on i've um very I've, i think i've waffled for far too long but thank you for having me on i, I appreciate it I mean, I, I loved hearing everything you were saying, man. I, yeah. I was literally just listening the entire time and uh, <laughs> I, I do appreciate it. Um, uh, for the people who are just listening to this, can you tell them what the what the name of the of the Kickstarter is? Oh, yeah. One yeah, more sure. time. The, the Kickstarter is um, is faking filmation. Um, you can if you if you literally just type that into Kickstarter, that will um, that will show you the um, yeah, the, the greatness that is the is Rob's campaign. It says. He did such a good job with the cat. Like I don't know anything about Kickstarter these days, but he does all the, you know, um, the work on it. So and, and likewise the documentary, people keep saying to me, oh, "Are you going to do this on the documentary?" I'm like, "Look, I'm just a subject on the documentary." I do, you know, don't worry. <laughs> the Return of Faker is part of this documentary. People will get to see that. But and yes, my story is involved in it. But it's 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 Rob's vision. Rob knows, or Rob, as the, the beauty of his his documentary making is he doesn't he, he has a goal. But how he gets there, and if a new narrative pops up at the same time, that's why he, uh, that's where he goes. He just doesn't go, oh, I'm going to ignore that story over there. It's like, oh, no, let's go over here and see what we find. So that's the beauty of, of, of Rob, is just that he he sees more than the bigger picture, as it were. It's like, oh, no, here's my thing, but let's see what else there is out there. So, yeah, fingers crossed. It's um, I, I honestly think, I know, I'm not some in it or whatever, or part of it, I, I think it will be like, I think like the return of fake, it will just be a feel good thing. I can tell you day one, day one, I got the, uh, the Blu-ray and then did the VHS add on soon after. Oh, so nice. like, <laughs> I'm, I'm getting all this stuff. Yeah, yes. <laughs> and I showed Bodhi the document, the, the, the uh, preview. And he's like, it's James. That's the first thing. Oh, he bless said. Him. I'm like, oh. Yeah. It's our buddy. So, but James, thank you so much for being on our show. And, no, thanks uh, for having me guys. Much appreciated. I can't wait to have you. We can't wait to have you back on. <laughs> 
sometime down the road after the campaign's over, after it all comes out, and to talk more about Ghostbusters, 80s, just everything. We'd love to have you oh, on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever, whatever, whatever subject you want, I'll, I'll happily come on. The, Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, we can definitely do some mask. Oh yeah, God, I love mask. That's one show I still watch every month. It's crazy. Ditto. Love mask. Ditto. I just got um, the um the Thundar Blu-ray, so I can't wait to pop that in. Uh, yeah, I can't believe they released Thundar. I was like, they restored Thundar Blu-ray. I was like, surely, and I was like, wow, it's amazing. I'm, I'm still but that's the thing, isn't it? They're doing Thundar on Blu-ray. Where's He-Man and Shadow? I know, exactly. I know, I know. Exactly. God damn it. Nice. Um, but thanks, and um, have a wonderful rest of your day. You too, guys. I'll, I'll speak to you soon. It was Bye. nice meeting you, James. You too, sir. Bye. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Podcasting After Dark's exclusive interview series with James Etalk. And, as always, thank you for your support.